Welcome everyone to a very special episode of Hellhounds of Horror. I'm joined as always by my colleagues Al and David. What up? What up? And we're joined by a very, very special guest, the writer and director of the cult classic movie Jawbreaker, uh, Mr. Darren Stein. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Oh, we're, we're very, very privileged to have you on the show. We, we got a ton of questions uh, from from hardcore fans of Jawbreaker that we're excited to ask. So we received a question from uh, Hex Girl Reviews, which was, what were your inspirations when making Jawbreaker? Um, I think I was... Jawbreaker uh, began as a horror movie. I really said I was to make a horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that my inspirations were really any, any horror film that I had ever seen. But I guess specifically for this, I would say Carrie... Brian De Palma's Carrie was a major one. Yes. Um, yes. Rock and Roll High School, which was, uh, you know, a uh, Roger Corman film from the mid seventies with PJ Souls and the Ramones. Uh, the movie Grease, the fifties film, uh, the you know about the about you know the iconic fifties movie Grease. And uh, what else? Well, then Heather's, of course. I, I'd, I'd be remiss if I did not mention Heather's. Um, so those were sort of the main ones. I, I would I would think. That's amazing. I, I was going to say, though, I noticed there was a lot of uh, carry uh, references throughout the movie, especially with PJ Souls being in the movie. Yeah. And yeah. Um, what was it like working with uh, with PJ Souls? Oh, she was great. She was she was really fun. And, uh, you know, I think she was, I, I, I'm sure I kind of fanned out over Halloween and Carrie, you know, because it wasn't just her. It was also, also William Cat who was in Carrie. Yes. Um, so the two of them, I was sort of excited to have their... Um, but she was lovely. She was super happy to be there, really collaborative, really fun, funny, charming. She's exactly what you'd expect PJ Souls to be, which is an absolute delight. Yes, she is. I I recently met her at a convention, mm-hmm. and she. I think I got the last picture that she had, mm-hmm. and it was, um, it was a meme that she saw on the internet that she printed for people to get signed. She's just one of the sweetest people yeah. ever, honestly. Yeah. Have you seen uh, Rock and Roll High School? Yes, long yeah. time ago. It's been a while yeah. with the Ramones. Love yeah, it. Yeah, a lot of Heather's and Carrie, you know, horror fans haven't haven't seen that one. She's mainly known for like so Halloween and Carrie and stuff like that. But that's definitely an underrated, underrated movie for sure. Well, for me, I mean, ironically, to me, she was known from Rock and Roll High School because I mean, although I, I loved Halloween growing up, I never Halloween. I didn't get to see in the movie theater. So I actually was first exposed to Halloween in the movie Terror in the Isles. I actually have no, I've never heard of that. I've never oh, heard yeah. of that one. It's an 80s documentary that was made by Universal called Terror in the Isles. And it was released theatrically in, in America, at least. And it had clips from like a ton of horror, everything from Cronenberg to John Carpenter to Brian De Palma. I mean, Donald Pleasance is in the movie as one of the narrators. And it showed a lot of clips from Halloween. And that's that's sort of the first time I saw Halloween was through that movie. You know, whereas Rock and Roll High School, for whatever reason, I had I had it on cable and just got really obsessed with her and that. Anyway, going down a PJ Souls rabbit hole as one does. Of course, of course. How could you not? She's just such a beloved person in in horror movies. She's Yeah. So I found what he's talking about, Terror in the Isles. It has a uh, Halloween two, Jaws, American Werewolf in London. It's actually pretty cool. 1984? Yeah. I was, as a little kid, I, I was like 13 in, in, in 84. 
And, you know, I couldn't get into a lot of those movies, you know, because they were rated R. I mean, I saw some of them. But Terror in the Isles, you know, when I was home, my mom and dad weren't, they were not monitoring what I was watching. So I could just pop on Terror in the Isles and I got to see all the best parts of all the, the best horror movies. <laughs> Horror movies. I need to get this. This is, this actually looks good for the collection, guys. This is really cool. Okay. And the Isles, is, is that spelled um, A-I? A-I-S-L-E-S. Like oh, Ale? Oh, no. Yeah, like a, like a movie Ale. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, really, it's really well done, and people you know, who saw it when it came out love it. It's got – people are really – as a matter of fact, I, I believe when they released Halloween 2 on the – I think it was Blu-ray or DVD – Terror in the Isles is an extra. The entire film is an extra on Halloween 2 on either the Blu-ray or DVD, one of those. I actually think I have uh, Halloween 2 on Blu-ray, so I'll check that out. have it. You might have Terror in the Isles already. Wow. Okay. Good to know. Speaking of Blu-rays, just recently uh, I saw that they're going to be releasing Jawbreaker for the 20th anniversary on Blu-ray. How did that come around? Uh, people always ask me about, you know, re- you know, special edition, Blu-rays. Right, right. Just, I just sort of emailed Sony and I was like, hey, we should do this. And they were like, well, what do you, what kind of, you know, extras do you have? And I, I have all kinds of stuff, but, you know, I have clips from the Jawbreaker musical, from, you know, concert clips. But what I really wanted to get on there was MTV did this special with with Rose, with the four girls. It was Rose, Judy, Julie, and Rebecca. Right, it was like right. a half hour MTV special. And that would have been brilliant, but nobody can. Oh, oh, Sony would have to license it from, I guess, Viacom or something. And so it was just they didn't want to spend money. But, but, but what they did, what what Sony really wanted was the commentary with me and the cast. And so I told them I could get, I could get, you know, everyone together to do it. So I got Judy, Julie, and Rebecca. Uh, but Rose is in New York. She lives between New York and Europe. And I was like, well, can't Rose just come in from a separate, you know, studio? And they said, no, no. The way we do it here is everyone's got to be in the same room. So unfortunately, Rose is not on the, the commentary, but the four of us are, and it's really fun. So, so the Blu-ray will have it, that commentary with the four of us, plus it'll have the commentary that I did for the original DVD 20 years ago. Oh, nice. Yeah, so they're both going to be on the Blu-ray, which is kind of great, because it'll be interesting to see if I, 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 I can't imagine that I told the same stories in both of those, you know? That's, that's really cool. I'm, I'm very excited. I'm, I'm very much a, a collector of movies and, and media. So I am notorious for purchasing the same movie multiple times on uh, <laughs> different formats. So I'm definitely going to be getting that one because I just picked up on VHS when I was yeah. out. I was out at a thrift store a couple of days before we were going to do the interview and uh, saw Jawbreaker in the aisle. And I'm like, oh, it was meant to be. That's cool. Because I, yeah. I already had the DVD. So I was like, I have to get this. So I'm going to have all, all three. <laughs> Yeah, the guy who's composing the music for the Jawbreaker stage musical, it's been like a long process getting that off the ground. And he lives in New York and he sent me a, a picture, I think it was today or yesterday, of a Jawbreaker VHS picking up at him at a say, sidewalk sale. And he's like, is it a sign? <laughs> so, yeah, was, totally right. Yeah, it's a sign. I don't even have a, I don't currently have a Jawbreaker VHS. You know, my first, my first film, Sparkler, came out on VHS. You should find a Sparkler VHS. Well, the, the, the VHS fad was dying out, what, like early 2000s, when they finally kind of slowly stopped releasing them? Yeah, they, Jawbreaker is one of the last films to be released on VHS. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. It's definitely dying out then. DVD was massive in the early 2000s. That's when they were bringing it out. So a lot of the VHS all had commercials for DVDs. So it was like high definition, 
all these extra features, bonus bonus commentaries, and like they were really pushing the extras for for DVD. So it's That's fun to see VHS with those uh, commercials on them. Yeah, Image Image put out a Blu-ray of Jawbreaker. I think it was seven or eight years ago. Right. But nothing's on it. There's no no extras. Right. But the transfer is beautiful. I, I actually supervised the trans that transfer to Blu-ray, and it's the same transfer that's on the new one. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Uh, one uh, question we received from uh, Dale underscore McCarthy. He'd asked, uh, "How long before filming were the photos taken for the you know the Polaroids?" He was wondering because yeah. he noticed that uh, Julie Ben's hair was cut. Right. So I think they were about two weeks. Probably between a week a week or two before production. So Julie had long hair, and uh, we just got together one day, went down to Hancock Park, the street called Larchmont, and get, got the girls' ice cream cones, and went in a photo booth, and you know got these candid pictures that seemed like they were friends for a million years. So that was really fun. And yeah, it was before Julie's hair was cut because we did, she had long blonde hair, and we gave, gave her a bob. That's so that, right. Yeah. That was a bit traumatic for her. I have a question. I wanted to know what was it like casting all these people? You know, considering um, back in the back in that era, nineteen ninety nine, of course, a lot of them were really famous for some of the films they'd been in. Right. And um, what was it like casting these these kids? You know. Well, Rebecca, I mean, I can't I can't remember if Urban Legends had if, if Urban Legend had come out already before Jawbreaker. It, it did, right? Yeah, it was uh, ninety eight. Was Urban Legend. Oh well, no, but we shot Jawbreaker in '98, so I don't think it. Oh, okay, wow. Rebecca, but Rebecca, I think I knew from like you know, Noxzema Girl, Nine Hundred Two One Zero, and oh, Scream. Oh, I see her in Scream Two. I went I actually went to the premiere of Scream Two. Right. Okay. And loved her in that that scene with her and Portia de Rossi in the bathroom was so great. <laughs> um, and uh, so she was, you know, but before we had cast Rebecca, we had Rachel Lee Cook was going right. to play was going to play uh, Julie. And then she just didn't have that same heightened tone as the other girls. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Julie Benz, I think she had done disturbing behavior. I'm not sure. And you're going to, this is like heresy to say, but I had not seen Jawbreaker when I cast, I'm sorry, I had not seen Buffy when I was casting Jawbreaker. Right. So, so I was not familiar with Darla, with her character from Buffy. Right, of course. And Julie was just great because she was funny. She was really funny, like truly hilarious and like, offbeat and brought something to the character that wasn't on the page and that was incredible you know and then judy greer was a last minute casting we had had cast a different actress as fern violet and she ended up getting a pilot and chose to do the pilot instead and then we were like i think a few days five five or six days before shooting we had no one in the role and judy just arrived to la i think she was from chicago she had just done Mm -hmm. one and in film, she hadn't done anything big, and we lucked out because the hardest thing about that role was finding someone who could play someone very geeky and then playing someone who was very bitchy, like both of those extremes. Yes. And, she, and Judy was able to do it, so it was it was pure luck that she came out of the nowhere, out of out of nowhere, you know. Right. And we like, you know, promptly dyed her, cut her hair, and dyed a dyed a platinum blonde, and then she wore that wig as as Fern, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The, the scene where they're transforming. Uh, mm-hmm. Fair into Violet, yeah, was was just a fantastic, fantastic piece of cinema. Honestly, <laughs> that, that wondrous environment where they're just yeah. transforming her—it's uh, incredible. 
Well, when I was writing that, I kind of wanted it to be like a Busby Berkeley-esque sort of musical sequence. Right. And I wrote it all like sort of rhyming, you know, and then I wanted to juxtapose prepping, prepping the body for the grave with making over the girl. So that, that sort of dichotomy. Right, so it was right. very fun. And then, and then not to do it in a way that was obvious, not, not to do it in just a regular way, but to do it in a stylized movie musical way where it's like Frankenstein's laboratory. Um, and the two undertakers are kind of weird looking and they're in these top hats and very stylized. One of them looks like a, you know, a nun habit or something. <laughs> it's really weird. Um, but, but it was, I wanted it to be unusual. Um, now, you know, make it, we're, I'm, we're making the, the film as a, as a musical for the stage and then also I'm pitching it as a series, as a, as a musical series for TV, um, which is exciting. And I think that the, you might... It might ultimately be that the film always wanted to be a musical, and that's going to be like the final destination for the movie, you know? Yeah, yeah. we're just excited. That, that really is exciting. That's that's something I'm definitely yeah. interested in seeing. That the you said there you were in the the stage play, uh, the musical. Uh, is that is that something that's out now, it or not, is, that, is that, it's not come it out yet? Hasn't come out yet. It's, there's been concerts in LA, LA and New York. Right. There's currently a financer who's interested in perhaps doing it in the UK. There's also a theater that's interested in doing it in Chicago. So we've got to figure out sort of where the first production is going to be. So that's sort of happening as we speak. Um, or, hey, maybe the TV series will happen first. Who knows? I mean, it's whatever sort of happens first. I mean, the musical has been 10 years in the making. It's been quite a long uh, journey with different directors. And, you know, at one reading in New York, you know, Jojo, the recording artist who was in my first, my, my, newest, my newest film, GBF, she did one of the characters, you know, and Liz Gillies, who's who's on Dynasty on CW. She she played uh, Courtney Shane, and she's got a great voice. But yeah, no, it's been absolutely incredible that um, the film has become. I mean, that's why I love when when horror podcasts, when horror press and podcasts embrace it because when it came out, it wasn't really. And I, mean, I think horror people liked it because it had it had a macabre, you yeah. know, undertone. Yeah. Exactly. But I feel like in the last 10 years, really, the horror community has really gotten into it. And I'm even seeing like costumes on Halloween and like, you know, people tweet, oh, I'm watching Halloween movies this month. And I, I consider Jawbreaker one of them. Right. That, that feels good. Because when I set out to write, I love horror. You know, I read Fangoria growing up and I, I Alien is like my favorite, my favorite movie, the first Alien. Rocky Horror Picture Show is a huge, huge inspiration. Oh, Rocky Horror is an inspiration for Jawbreaker I didn't get to mention, actually. Right. Yeah. You can. Yeah. I mean, there's lines from Rocky Horror. Oh, also John Waters. I would be remiss if I don't mention John Waters as an inspiration. Yeah. Because I was, I was just watching Pink Flamingos, and I hadn't seen it in a, or Female Trouble, both of those, and I hadn't seen them in a while. And I was like, holy shit, these films were really inspiring. Were, were really uh, in my psyche when I was writing the film because I did see those very young and rented them, and mercifully, mom and dad weren't paying attention. You know. Um, <laughs> That's, that's the great thing about uh, movie titles because you can you say something about like Halloween or something like that. It's just usually it gives a connotation of horror and violence. But you say something like Pink Flamingos, I'm like, oh, that sounds that sounds okay. So you finally see yeah, it. <laughs> it's funny though. I do, I, I do feel like Pink Flamingos and um, female, female Trouble are are horrific in their own ways. So although they're not like horror films, they definitely have you know terrifying terrifying elements <laughs> to them. Speaking of terrifying elements, uh, another thing I wanted to I wanted to say, congratulate John, is you you're, you remain humble, you know, considering you've been in the movie business, and a lot of people tend to 
that let, let, they let that get to themselves. But it seems like you've you remained a humble person, so that's all. That's awesome. Um, it's really nice of you to say. Yeah, I don't. I couldn't live my life any other way, you know. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, so the, another question I have: Can you name me three up-to-date horror movies that you like? Like you know, okay. like like more or less like a, like a top three. Top three like. modern horror. Sure. I can tell you the most modern. I mean, I just I I mean, The Witch, and um, and Hereditary. Oh, fantastic movies. So those would be the most recent horror films I love. I mean, The Hunger. The Hunger is a major one, as you can see. I'm wearing a shirt. Well, the audience can't see it, but you guys. Can see. Um, I, I love The Shining and the, the first Alien, and then second Alien I like too, but I don't consider that horror. I think it's more of an action film. But the first Alien for sure. I'm not a huge sla slasher guy. I just, I'm just not. I appreciate them. I think they're great, and I, mm -hmm. and of course, I saw them all growing up. But I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you the difference between Friday the Thirteenth Part One. Well, one and one I definitely know, but I know there's like ten of them or whatever. And then the Halloween movies. I love Halloween Three just because it's like masks melting on children's faces, and that was really exciting. Like <laughs> imagery wise, it was really disturbing. So I love Halloween Three. Oh, you know, Dress to Kill. I love Brian De Palma. Okay. Suspiria. You know, I love Argento. Oh, the new Suspiria remake. I haven't seen the new Suspiria yet. I'm sorry. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, it's incredible. Oh, I agree. Incredible. It is incredible. I actually saw The Witch and Suspiria for the first time in the same week. Wow. And it was an intense week, for, yeah, for sure. Because you made it through. You survived it. It's funny because The Witch... Suspiria and Hereditary, I've seen them all twice. And The Witch, it took me a while to watch again because it was so satanic and dark that energetically I just couldn't get, I just couldn't bring, my, bring myself to dip back into that. It was just too dark. But ultimately I knew I had to because the filmmaking was so brilliant. And I did, and I'm glad I, I think I've seen The Witch now three times, but Hereditary, that's something else that took me a while to watch again because yeah. it, was so, it was so hard to watch. Like when Hereditary ended, I was like, I was so confused because I, I love the filmmaking, but I, I just didn't like the experience of watching it. I found found it really awful to watch. And then the second time was great because I got to just get into it and not get so freaked out by it. And then Suspiria, the first time I watched it, I was just rav sort of ravished by the whole experience. I couldn't even get over the beauty of it. And then, but it felt long the first time. And then the second time I watched it and it kind of passed right by. It didn't feel long the second time, Suspiria. And that's like a three hour movie pretty much. Like, yeah, I agree. I watched it, I've watched it twice now. Uh, the second time it kind of breezed by. The first time was very, very intense, very intense, but very. It's beautiful in its own way. The first, the original Suspiria is very colorful. Like it, it really relies on its colorful, uh, its color and the score. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this, uh, this new Suspiria, it focuses more on the witch aspect, mm -hmm. which I very much appreciate. Mm -hmm. So that was that was the huge difference between the two. But beautiful film. Absolutely. But, but the good thing is, is you could tell that Luca Guadagnino was a fan of the original. Absolutely. So he did his homages to it in really smart ways. And what he brought to it, I mean, it's completely his own vision and it's brilliant. Though I will say, I do love Radiohead, but Radiohead and Suspiria, I'm not sure for me personally that they're two tastes that go great together. But it's all good. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, Radiohead is, is a very hit or miss band. That's for sure. Yeah. So. I, I agree with you on that. I prefer the original Suspiria score as opposed to the new one. Well, because it's so. terrifying. It's, and, and it's like, la, 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 la. You know, it's like, yeah. voice, it feels very demonic. And the new score, Thomas York's voice comes up and suddenly you feel like you're at 
you know, a music festival. Yeah, I, I agree. I didn't think he needed Thomas York's voice in the new no. one. Yeah. No, I don't think they did either, honestly. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, I think if he did just focus on the actual music itself, then it would have worked out mm-hmm. even even better. But have you guys got it? Have you guys watched the series Dracula on Amazon Prime? Dracula? No, I've not. Oh. Oh my god, it's great! It's like RuPaul's Drag Drag Race, but with horror horror oh. drag queens. Oh wow! And I've on, not seen that. Yeah, season three, the last episode, Daniel Harris was a guest judge, and Rachel True from The Craft. Oh wow! I oh, love wow. Rachel True. Yeah. I absolutely love Rachel True. And then Millie, the girl, Millie Shapiro from Millie Reddit. Shapiro. Movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I actually saw a clip because uh, I follow her on Instagram, and I saw a clip. I did. I didn't know that was the show. Yeah. Right. Okay. And then the woman who played the nun was on it. It's it's just really cool. They have a lot of cool horror people this year. Nice. Okay. I'm a I'm a guest judge on season th- on, on episode one of season one, episode four of season two, and episode six of season three. Oh wow, so that's I'm, amazing. I'm there too. So watch uh, it. Nice. If you love horror, I think you'll really enjoy it. Nice. Absolutely. Yeah, so anyone? uh Amazon Prime. Check yep. it out. Yeah. I'm gonna go check it out here in a little bit. Yeah, me too. I want to see. Also, yeah, also, well, I'll do. You know, I do have a film that's on Amazon Prime, a documentary I made called "Put the Ca- Put the Camera on Me," and it's about my childhood making films with the neighborhood kids in the '80s wow. in the hill in the hills of Encino. So it has a real like Stranger Things it kind of it vibe, you know, because oh, wow. it's a bunch of like suburban kids running around a cul-de-sac, and my films were basically all about. I was like reprocessing films that I had seen, so they were like horror movies and. You know, I made a Vietnam movie because I was watching like you know the Platoon and Rambo and Ninja movies and <laughs> Zombie. Oh, because I saw I saw Dawn of the Dead, so I was making like a zombie movie where I would my mother would make ribs for dinner and I would save the ribs and then use the ribs in the horror movie. Brilliant. Um, and then I made a film called Gay as a Whistle about a thirteen a thirteen year old boy who has a magic coin that turns other kids gay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is basically about you know a child well, is my way of processing my sexuality at that age so you should check it out it's called put the camera on me amazon prime i'll, I'll need to check on mine uh the amazon prime in the u.s and the amazon prime in canada are sometimes quite different so i will check and see if it's on oh, in canada in canada dragula is on out tv out tv okay yeah. sounds like it. I'll, I'll see if it's on amazon though yeah. uh that's yeah. for sure um, I have a question actually speaking of um, uh, modern horror so now we, we're, we're seeing a lot of likes of remakes coming out I'm curious to know if Jawbreaker was to ever be remade do you have any ideas of who would be cast as the, the four main characters well I think Fern would be I think Fern would have to be trans I think that would be cool if Fern like a trans girl that was maybe when she was Fern she was kind of a geekier trans girl she was sort of like androgynous and kind of dressing a little bit like a girl but just kind of frumpy and then when she's violet she's a full-blown femme fatale you know sexy woman and courtney barbie ferreira um is super i mean the new york times just did a piece on her and then i just met her because jawbreaker played at the uh, hollywood forever cemetery this big it was a big uh screening night it was like a 90s night and they showed um never been kissed i know you did last summer in jawbreaker wow and Barbie was there because she's a fan of Jawbreaker, and I actually would love her to be in be in the musical version of it, you know, for the the series. So we'll see. That's amazing. Yeah, and the other girls, I have no idea. I don't know who would play Julie and, and Marcy. Um, 
probably a gay, some kind of gay kid that's playing one of those roles or something. You know, you got, you got to mix it up, you know? Of course, yeah. You have to stay current in this, this climate. Yeah, I mean, they're remaking The Craft, and I'm just sort of like, why? Because, you know, for Zabalk, Rachel True, you don't touch... You know, I just think a certain film shouldn't be touched, and The Craft... I don't know. I mean, I guess The Craft's fun, but I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't think I was that excited about the the idea. <laughs> I, uh, I, I just, uh, this year, uh, met, uh, the girls from The Craft and they were all just so humble, so amazing. Rachel True, oh, she was just one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. That's, yeah, she's great. She's so really candid. Cool. Yeah, she's hilarious. She's actually a real witch. She does tarot, tarot readings. She does, tarot. yeah. Yeah, so all that she she's always posting on Instagram about um her tower reading, so that's that's really cool. Feruza Balk as well. I'm yeah, not sure if she's Yeah, yeah. Feruza used to own a witchcraft store in LA called Pan Pipes, uh, which is on Coenga in Los Angeles. Yeah, so she actually was really into it for a while. But she hasn't lived in LA for quite some time. She lives up north some somewhere. Right. Uh the funny thing is the the convention was in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And she had to. Dr- she doesn't like flying. She doesn't fly for whatever reason. So she drove from. I think she was in California for something, mm-hmm. and she drove from California to New Jersey. She got stuck in snowstorms, rainstorms, wow, sandstorms, everything, and she she made it there. She was a day late, uh-huh. but, she, but she made it. The fans must have been gone crazy to have her there. That's great. Oh. Absolutely, and uh, has has there ever been any any moments from you make, either making movies or be the premieres of movies where you've met people that you've been really starstruck by? Um, I think when I met David Lynch, I was pretty starstruck. Wow. Yeah, and John Waters for sure. But yeah, I went to a, an evening. It was like it was called the Music of David Lynch. It was at the Ace Hotel downtown L.A. All these band Duran Duran and Angela Badalamenti was there playing music from the film and bunch of you know bands that david had put together to raise money for um tm for transcendental meditation right and i went to the after party because my friend knows david's wife because she was in inland empire with her and so we were in the hotel room and david's like nice to meet you i got it and so i got to sh- shake david lynch's hand and to me he's like the cinematic god you know one of my cinema definite cinema cinematic gods so that was incredible to meet him and even angela battlement menti i mean the scores for Twin Peaks and Wild at Heart and Blue Velvet and yes. Mulholland Drive, they're incredible. So yeah, yeah, I get I get more excited about like technical people. I mean not I mean actors or whatever, you know. I'm I'm more excited about like directors and you know, DPs and composers and stuff, you know. Of course. They're the ones that make the movie. Yeah. The, act, the actors make the character, but it's the people behind the scenes that are they're the true MVPs. Sure, it is true. So what I was going to ask you was, um, if you had a chance to work on a film with anyone, whether it's a director, writer, actor, um, who would you want to work with? Um, I love the actor Tony, actress Tony Collette. I think she's fantastic. <sighs> yes. Uh, Laura Dern is someone who I love. Parker Posey, Chloe Seveny. I have a little list of people that I like. You know, there's a DP that named Ed Lockman who shoots a lot of Todd Haynes films. I think he's just brilliant. Um, yeah, I mean, those are the people who come to mind as far as like, uh, immediately, uh, Tilda Swinton obviously is pretty cool. I'm just going to say pop stars. I wouldn't mind. I, I do love like pop music and like the intersection of film and, and music and how that works. So I think it's been fun over the years to see like, you know, Rose was in a Charlie XCX video 
Mm-hmm. Um, because Charlie's a fan of Jawbreaker. So yeah, I don't know. I I, I like musicians. You know, I'd love to. Like I I used I would have loved to have met Joey Ramone or David David Bowie. Solid list, man. <laughs> So another thing I wanted to ask, um, and I usually ask everybody that would come on as a guest, when you watch movies, horror movies, action, whatever you do watch, um, I myself like to indulge in snacks when I watch movies. Um, so is there any particular favorite snack or anything like that that you indulge in when you're watching movies? I, <laughs> uh, pizza is always a good thing, you know? It is yes. Like, uh, popcorn is always nice. Uh, it's sort of like, I, I kind of feel for me, it's like whatever I have in the kitchen is like sort of what I have, you know, cause the movie sort of comes first. I don't, I'm not the best planner. And, it, and, I, <laughs> and, and when I do go to say Trader Joe's or the market, I'm usually not getting stuff that's like really super fattening or I try to keep healthy, you know? So I'm not like, I, I don't keep the fridge stocked with, you know, sweets and stuff. Right. Um, but when I was a kid, it used to, I used to be super obsessed with red vines, you know, the licorice. Oh yeah, and you can bite off the ends and they turn it into a straw and poke yeah, it. Through. Yeah, yeah. Soft drink and you. <laughs> that was kind of awesome. I Usually, did that when I was a kid. What are your snacks? What do you like? Uh, popcorn and pickle is one. Um, that's that's usually the go-to. Um, goobers are another one. Uh huh. Popcorn is it pickle flavored popcorn? No, no, no. Um, so what I would do, um, I, I'm not a fan of sour pickles. I don't, I don't know why, but I like dill pickles. Right. Um, so what I'll do is I'll slice it down in slices and then I'll cut the slices in halves and just make them into mini pieces and I'll just snack on it. Like I'm snacking on the popcorn every few bites or something like that. Oh, cool. So you mix, you mix the pickle in with the popcorn? Um, sometimes I do. Um, so most of the time I keep them separate, but there's certain days where I don't want to have two different <laughs> bowls or dishes. So I'm just like, ah, eh, I'll just throw it in and we'll see what happens. You know, I love so that if I'm being very decadent in a theater, sometimes I'll get like a big popcorn and then put a whole bag of candy into the popcorn and mix that all up. Yeah. That's a common one. <laughs> that's really good. Cause then you get the sweet and the salty. That's where the goobers come into effect. Yes. That's so good. Oh my God. Pizza's yeah. another big one. Oh yeah. Pizza's always just perfect you know it's like the food it's just like the trashiest you know most hideous and most delicious food on the planet exactly yeah (laughs) when you were talking about red vines there that's that's not something i'm very familiar with because they 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 weren't really huge in the uk so it's it's always really cool for me to hear about what other people's like snacks were because vines were quite different because we in the cinema we would have uh we would have uh sweet popcorn or salty popcorn oh wow so we'd have two different options. So they'd have two popcorn machines. Never had that. That's, and, that's and, yeah, and never would, had that either. They would throw in the salt into one or the, the salt mix and then the sweet mix in the other one. And they'd have two just big barreling popcorn machines. So they would and you could ask for like a, a mix. So you could just get a scoop of sweet, a scoop of salty, and then like kinda of mix them up a little bit and then you get sweet and salty popcorn. Well, I know that there was <laughs> A battle, like an East Coast West Coast battle. Because on the West Coast we had red vines, and on the mm-hmm. East Coast they had Twizzlers, which were just right. another kind of red licorice. And people who grew up with Twizzlers completely swear by those, and red vines swear by. It's very East Coast West Coast, you know, like right. gang, gang warfare basically. I I know what Twizzlers are living in Canada because we're on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. We get we get uh, Twizzlers, so I know I knew what they were when I when I came here, so. I, li- I live like right smack dab in the middle, so I get a little bit of both. <laughs> Wait, so how, how did the two of you meet? You're, is one of you, from, you know, being from Texas and Canada? I, we, we started making YouTube videos um, 
So we do like in, individually we do like um like unboxings and like movie reviews and like like showing all the horror stuff that we would get. Mm-hmm. So I I joined that sort of community a couple of years ago. There was a show that was going on, like a live stream show, and these guys were like four guys who like loved horror and they were like they would do challenges and stuff. So I would tune in and watch it as a fan. Um, so those two were on the show and they were looking for someone to like fill in for an episode. It was like a huge deal for me because I was just coming into this like horror YouTube community. Didn't really know anyone. So I just kind of put my hand up. I'm like, yeah, like I could maybe do it. Cool. And then the episode I did was like really well received. And then so they asked me to become like a full time member. That that show kind of ended, so we branched off and did our own thing, uh, which we then ended up calling Hellhounds of Horror, and uh, we were doing a live stream show with that, and then we kind of went on a bit of a hiatus, and then we switched to the the podcast. There was a convention in Texas called Texas Frightmare Weekend, so I ended up going to that, and it was the first time that we'd ever met in person, so we uh, that was like a really big deal as well. Everyone who watched the show who were big fans of it, were, like, freaking out because it was, like, a huge thing, all of us together for the, the first time ever, so... Oh, that's awesome. That's, that's kind of how we, how we met, just yeah. through the love of horror movies. Yeah, it's a very, really loving community. People, it's a great... It brings people together. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it sure does. Especially for, for Jawbreaker, like... Um, I, I, honestly, I, I didn't see this movie until earlier this year for the very first time. I'd heard of it, and I'd seen that iconic cover. Mm-hmm. But my my girlfriend has uh, the quote, the learn it, live it, love it, mm-hmm. tattooed on her shoulder. Are you kidding? That's great. Yes. She, she's, a, she's a massive fan. So she would quote it all the time. And, and she'd be like, oh, you don't know Jawbreaker. So she'd just be like, randomly be like, let me guess, club kids? And I'd be like, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't get it. <laughs> so... <laughs> And she, she's just like, ah. Oh. So she's finally, I sat down and watched it. I was blown away by it. So now she'll be like, let me get Club Kids. And I'll be like, I was watching Oprah today. <laughs> and we That's just. Be the mom in you. Yeah. It's so funny. Uh, people quote the movie to me all the time. I, I, do you guys know Thomas Decker from the, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake? Yes. Yeah. He's a friend of mine. And years ago, when I first met him, some other friends brought him to my house for a game night. I guess he's a huge Jawbreaker fan, and he was so kind of like freaked out to be there. All he could do was quote the movie all night, <laughs> and of course, I thought it was great. I thought it, I, I I found it very amusing, but all my friends that were there just found it really annoying. But but Tom, but we're still really good friends, and like I don't know. The other night I was at another friend's house, and he was there, and he's tweeting me, he's texting me lines from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just, oh, yeah, that's no, I, amazing. You should have your girlfriend. You should post your girlfriend's tattoo on your on your Hellhounds of Horror site. <laughs> but she uh, she had a couple of questions uh, yeah. that were very specific to the movie. The first one is uh, the scene with the factory where they're making the Jawbreakers. Right. Uh, is that is that? Did you actually film that of them no. making them, or was that stock footage? No, we created that on the soundstage. Oh wow! Yeah, none of that was real. Wow. I want. I wanted it to have like an Edward Scissorhands sort of like old fashioned factory feeling. Right. That's the thing I got from it. Yeah, and a lot of the machines that were rented were like old science fiction props and stuff, and we just made it up. We just literally the production design team just made it all up. You know, we just put things together. 
Amazing. I mean, could you imagine if that's how they were made? Little jawbreakers, and they each, they're each in their own little metal basket, <laughs> getting getting splattered with paint. I mean, I think the actual version is a lot less exciting. I think I've seen. A, there's a show called How How It's Made. <clears throat> oh, really? And one of them is about jawbreakers, and it's very close. Oh, honestly, really? yeah. There's like a battle. Uh, so they'll, they'll have like these like I can't remember how they make the candy, the the actual candy, but they roll them around in different barrels of wow. different colored oh. um so that's how, how they get the layer effect so it starts with one solid color in the middle and then they just keep going and going and going and they add all the different colors up until it's white and then they like splatter it somehow that's that's amazing that that was just all on a sound stage yep a very small sound stage uh the, the other question she had was um the scene with the giant jawbreaker and the kids are all licking yeah. it. Uh, how how was that accomplished? Did they actually lick the jawbreaker? Is our yeah. main question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we had all these kids because we were shooting them on a, in a playground. Kind of, it was like all that old fashioned footage of children being terrifying, and that that was just used to indicate that you know kids on sugar are basically like dangerous on drugs, and also just how juxtaposing the innocence of the jawbreaker with the, you know, deadlier aspects and the loss of innocence and whatever. So I thought, I thought one weird, bizarre, cool, surreal image would be this massive jawbreaker. It's like the size of a planet, like an orbit, and all these tongues sort of come into frame and start licking it. So we just had this huge, somehow they found a huge jawbreaker and we suspended it from a, a wire, you know, and then, the kid, and then we shot it from below and it was like a black void situation. Mm-hmm. And the kids all leaned their faces into the frame and just went at it with their tongues. So that wow. was all real. That was all done pra- practically. Yeah. And it was a real jawbreaker. I mean, it might have been a, a, a white, a big white globe that was made to look like a jawbreaker. I kind of feel like it was real. So I, re- I kind of remember them finding something because they, you can find anything, you know. And jawbreaker is such an iconic American candy that goes back to you know circuses and carnivals. I would love to know the first time a jawbreaker actually was. Especially that speckled one. I, I don't. I would love to research and find out when that thing was invented. Right. Probably the fifties, I guess. I don't know, but you can find any size. Yeah. Honestly, I, pe- personally, I've never seen a jawbreaker that big, but I've seen some pretty big jawbreakers. So. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm sure in Canada you have candy stores, and sometimes you'll see these yeah. massive, like massive gummy bears or massive like can- uh, gummy uh, rats that are like huge. Yeah, exactly. Snakes that are like this thick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I want I've seen one of those that. giant gummy bears. <laughs> oh, absolutely! I've seen a giant Hershey Kiss. Oh, cool! Like Hershey make those, and it's like a curl up on the couch with it, just in the fetal yeah. position, just don't go anywhere for like three days. Yeah, but do you know what I found out? Right? Yeah. Um it's actually not solid chocolate. It's hollow in the middle. Oh it's man! A and it's also not filled with many Hershey Kisses. That's. I was like, that's a trick they're missing. All they had to do was like open up the bottom, dump a ton in there, and then seal it up with chocolate. And then there you go. That's a great novelty gift. But no, it's just the salt. It's just made with Hershey chocolate mm. over a mold and then sealed at the bottom. Yeah, I was wow. disappointed. That is pretty disappointing. You don't see the gummy bears hollow. No. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Off. The, off the topic of confectionery. My next question is: Has there ever anyone who's ever? Uh, Reached out as a fan that you've not expected. I just heard a story that was amazing. I just did a podcast called Attack of the Queer Wolf. Okay. Uh, it's like a, a Blumhouse 
queer horror podcasts. Brilliant. And it was me and Rebecca McKendry, who's on Shockwave, the Shockwave's podcast. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I know. I know. Um, I know of Rob from the uh, Shockwaves. He's a he's a great guy. Well, Rebecca is on that, and she's been on that show forever. She's like the editor of Blumhouse.com. I'd never met her because right. when you when you come on, you talk about the filmmaker chooses a film to discuss. And I chose Rocky Horror Picture Show, and apparently Rebecca is a big Rocky Horror fan, so they brought her on as well. And during the show, she's like, oh, you should just know, I, I really love Jawbreaker. I'm a, big, I'm a big fan. I'm like, thank you. And then after when we're leaving, she's like, actually, guess who told me about Jawbreaker? I'm like, she goes, let me tell you a funny story. I'm like, okay. She goes, I was interviewing John Waters in 2002 for a magazine, and we were talking about teen movies, and I was telling him how much I love Drop Dead Gorgeous, and John Waters said, have you ever seen Jawbreaker? Wow. And she said, no. And he goes, well, watch Jawbreaker. I just think that that film's fabulous or whatever. And she, that's how she found out about Jawbreaker through John. She got a recommendation from John Waters. Wow. That actually wow. gave me chills. I'm not, not even lying. That gave me chills. <laughs> like that's full circle right there. Yeah. Full, full circle Jawbreaker. Well, by the way, I mean, you know, I've met John before, you know, because I produced All About Evil, uh, the Natasha Leon film that Peaches Christ directed, and Joshua and John are good friends. So John visited the set of All About Evil, but I didn't tell him, oh, I'm Darren Stein, I directed Jawbreaker. I don't usually go up and say that to people because it's just yeah. awkward, you know? Yeah. Um, but it was just really cool to learn that John fucking Waters had, had seen Jawbreaker and, 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 and was recommending it. That was pretty, pretty wild. To find that out 20 years later after you make the movie. Oh, you know? of course. Yeah. That's, yes. That's, that's amazing. And then, uh, of course, he had Marlon Manson in the movie as well. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Was, was that, I know that Rose McGowan and uh, Marlon Manson, they were together at that point. Yeah. Was that, was that a factor in him being yeah, in, in yeah. the, the I, movie? I, yeah. When Rose signed on to the movie, I was like, hey, do you think Manson would be in the film? Maybe he could play prom or maybe he could be like that skeezy guy that she goes, pins the murder on. Yeah. Says, I can ask him. And she asked him and he's like, yeah, I'll be that skeezy dude. So... <laughs> <laughs> he even named his his character, which is hilarious. Really? Wow. It, what was the name? It was so funny. It was like, oh, fuck, what was it? Oh, I'll have to think of it. It was like, oh, Saucy Peterson. Saucy Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> it was Saucy Peterson. But in the, I don't know if it says Saucy Peterson in the credits or if it just says Sleazy Man, but Manson named himself that which is hilarious and it was a fun scene to shoot because you know they were dating so the sex scene between them was really fun for them i guess yeah of course you know and then one of the outfits he was on this he was on the set all the time because he wanted to come and visit her of course um, and then there's one outfit she wears that she wears that one outfit it's like a top and it has sleeveless and has like argyle cut out diamonds in it so you can kind of see her flesh through it mm -hmm. and that was a top that manson had bought her as a gift and she had it on the set and i was like oh that's really cool i wonder if we can put you in that in this scene and the costume designer was like yeah i really like it and then we ended up just putting it in her in that scene in the lockers when she's talking about how dane is just you know a piece of nostalgia that wants to stand the test of time yeah. <laughs> um yeah that was a gift from him so it was pretty fun it was fun to have him around when i saw jawbreaker i was particularly excited that julie benz was on it because i absolutely loved her character in dexter Oh yeah, definitely. that's where I, Buffy and Dexter was where I knew her from. So I was particularly excited for that. Were you devastated when she was killed on Dexter? Oh, beyond devastated because she was her character had progressed so much to the point where she was now comfortable with Dexter and right, right. and like it was just so 
uplifting to see her transformation, and then she's killed by John Lithgow. Oh man, that was honestly, in my opinion, the greatest season of Dexter, the yeah. Trinity Killer. That, yeah, what, that season was... what what season was she killed in? Was that three? I think it's three because she wasn't in it for for long. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was just such a huge character because she was she was bringing a sort of more humane side to Dexter mm-hmm. and she, herself. She was overcoming her own mm-hmm. uh, demons and oh man, I was devastated. <laughs> yeah, she's she's a brilliant actress. As a matter of fact, all the girls from Jawbreaker are great. I mean, I think all four of them are brilliant. Yes, equally brilliant. In their own ways, yeah. Did you see Rebecca in uh, the new Tarantino film? I haven't. I've not seen. I've not seen that new movie yet. But I've heard a lot of great things. There's a lot of people. I think Daniel Harris was in it too. I didn't see Danielle. Once upon a yeah. time, Hollywood, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, Daniel Harris was in it. Cool. Uh, Timothy Oliphant. He was in it. He was in. Um, oh, nice. He was in Dead. I love him in Deadwood. Deadwood's such a great yeah. show. He's good. But Timothy Oliphant. He was in. Scream 2 as well. Jamie Kennedy was in my first film, Sparkler, along with Freddie Prince Jr. Amazing. So you you got to see that, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'm definitely going to know that. And Veronica Cartwright from Alien and, and Birds, uh, which is a beast in the birds. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Pretty sweet. And uh, another, I, I don't know if, you, if you'd known this or not, but uh, Judy Greer, she was in the remake of Carrie. Right, she was at, the Betty Buckley girl, yeah. Exactly, and also she's in the new Halloween I know. She's filming it now. She's filming it right now. Yes. And I again I thought that was very interesting considering that those two um were influences for you making the movie. It is interesting, isn't it? It's, is I thought that was very, very cool considering that she she was in it. Yeah, cinema has its own spiritual logic that continues in a space a space time continuum. It's really interesting how that works. Cinema is such a small world. Yeah. Um I, I, when I was when I was doing some some further research on the movie that came up, I was like, interesting. Considering the a lot of the carry references and and then like you'd said, Halloween was a big influence on you. So that was that was a cool thing. Uh, we have uh, two more questions from Dale underscore McCarthy. These are technical questions um, about the the movies. One of them um, is related to the new the new Blu-ray that's that's going to be coming out. So he'd asked, are there any extended or deleted scenes that were filmed originally? And uh, would they ever be included in a future release? The film was made on such a tight schedule uh, that we, there wasn't a lot of extra, extra scenes filmed. Right. So we don't really have those scenes to put on a Blu-ray, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. It was a 30-day... It took 30, 30 days to yeah. film? It was, right? fast, it was a very fast shoot. Wow. Yeah. And consider how the final product turned out. Mm-hmm. You, you would you would never tell, honestly. It was uh... yeah. It was it looks like it looks like a big production, but it was made for three point five million. When the films of the same era were being other films were being made, you know, for like you know seven to fifteen million. Mm-hmm. And also when job when it came out, it was only released on eight hundred screens, whereas the other films like Cruel Intentions and Can Hardly Wait were released on two thousand screens. So right. Job was always a little bit more niche. You know, it was it was it was financed by Columbia TriStar Home Video. It wasn't made by the big studio. Right, so we had a smaller budget, yeah, and and yeah, like you said, it would it would it holds up against some some yeah. of the larger distributed movies of the time. You're absolutely right. Uh, another one was uh, was the movie shot on Super Thirty Five? Uh, in the trailer, there looks to be more picture information. No, it was it was just shot on 30, 35. 
right? I don't, I don't know why. Oh, I, I think I think I know what that question means. There's 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 a shot in the trailer that's extended longer than it is, mm. in the, in, than, than you know what I'm talking about. Yes, yeah, that that's I think that's what they're referring to. I think okay, I just yeah. butchered the I question. Think, yeah, that that is the scene when uh, Liz Per's parents come home and the camera moves in on them. It's longer in a trailer, and then mm. I remember the executive at the studio made me shorten it in a cut because he thought it was too devastating for the audience to see, you know, just for the mom and dad to see their daughter dead. So he made me shorten that shot and it actually shouldn't have been shorter. It should have been longer. Like it is in the trailer. Right. That's, that was just an executive hack, hack, hacking up the movie. Of course. course. The marketing division did the trailer. They knew that that shot, you know, the, the way that it was impactful was keeping the entire shot in. Yeah, of course. Ugh. Oh lord! And then, then when the actual movie comes out, surely. I think it's really cool that is that Dale who noticed that. Yes. Yeah, that's great that he noticed that because it's it's something that I'm like, why? You know, it's it's just it's a shitty thing when there's a shot in the trailer that's not better in the trailer than it is in the movie. That shouldn't be happening. <laughs> yeah, and it does it does happen, especially in modern cinema. Just goes to show it was still a thing back then as well. There was a lot of. Uh, very specific um, movie questions that, that people had asked that had reached out, like those ones in particular. Those We, we did get a lot of um, fans of the movie reaching out, saying that they were extremely excited for us to talk to you, and it was it was really cool. And I was very excited again, because my girlfriend, her name's Serena. This is honestly one of her top top five movies. Wow. And it's, a, it's a, up there at the top. She's a, she's a huge fan. Um and she was always always quoting it. She's got a tattoo on her. She uh, you need to send me that tattoo because I, I I do absolutely. I love to collect all the tattoos. Right. I have. I'm sure you've seen them on my Instagram. There's quite a few. Yeah. I mean, those are like badges of honor. I love those. Of course. But now we have another thing to bond over, which is which is Drawbreaker. So thank you for that. Yeah, of course. Thank but you yeah. for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, absolutely. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Again, we're we're all fans of the movie, yeah. and uh, any you're welcome at any time. Uh, if you have any other future projects that sure. are that are upcoming, yeah, you're more than welcome to come on and talk about them. We're it's our pleasure. That sounds good to me. I will be back. Absolutely, we're looking forward to it. So thank you very much to our guest, Darren Stein, for joining us today. Uh, don't forget to follow Darren on social media. His Instagram is at Darren Stein, and as always, don't forget to follow at Hellhounds of Horror Instagram for more information on the podcast and when our episodes will be coming out. So thank you very much for joining us, and we hope you have a great rest of your day, evening, or morning. We'll catch your asses down the road, and remember, you know where you can always find us, deep in the pits of hell.